So here we are at Spring One Platform, the most awesome name conference ever. And uh, I, I was catching up with someone. We'd been swapping uh, stories about, uh, what would you call it, uh, kids' video games? <laughs> ways of helping kids work on games. But, and then uh, you are telling me about a project with uh, Kubo that you were working on recently. And, yeah. Uh, so, so what was that project? Yeah, so uh, we, we got approached by a prospect who, mm-hmm. uh, who basically wanted to set us a new challenge. You know, uh, people already know that Cloud Foundry is a really good place to run Spring Boot applications. Right. So the usual kind of, you know, well, we'll show you some microservices and we'll push them to Cloud Foundry and you'll be able to see how they work. Just didn't really cut the mustard uh-huh. for that particular customer. So they set us a, um, a much more difficult challenge, which was, okay, so we've been into SOA for quite a while. We've been doing, we built that, uh, something that we call our integration fabric. We plug all of our legacy services into that. All of our sort of heritage systems are plugged into right. that. And this was, a, this was a manufacturer that's been around for a long time. I mean, I'm, I would be guessing, but I would guess around. So they, they had the typical, years. like, uh, fabric, bus, whatever, yeah. the centralized, the network is the integration point or, or, or whatever. It, not the network, but yeah. I, I just, I don't know. And they had it's all a, it's the a bus fabric thing, all the usual middleware associated. <laughs> right, with right. So they had an API gateway. They had an enterprise service bus. They have, um, you know, SOA registries and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. And their concern was, what do I do with all of these things, which are, which are non-cloud native, heavyweight yeah. applications, uh, in this new sort of cloud world where I want to be able to use any cloud vendor that I want. Because because currently they didn't have that freedom, they could uh, they had a lot of puppet and a lot of chef and various other things. So they right. could they could push these applications to maybe one or two IaaS vendors, but but mm. adding more or going yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. going to different regions like China or whatever it might be. And just standing up that stuff is yeah. a hassle because you have to exactly. just the way that it has to be installed. Yeah, I mean it's either you know in, installing it slowly or basically rewriting the installation of it to run on a new IaaS. So, oh, okay. you know, as they yeah, move yeah, from yeah, yeah. one region to another, maybe their preferred vendor isn't in that region, they uh-huh. still have to operate. So so they asked us to uh, to show them multi-cloud and show running these, uh, the, these uh, historic uh, heritage uh, uh-huh. Uh, workloads on uh, on something uh, that was multi-cloud. So we uh, we started to show them Kubo, which of course now is uh, is being integrated into uh, PKS, uh, and we uh, used Kubo instead. So we we uh, brought up Kubernetes clusters, and we uh, uh, created all the necessary scripting to um, push essentially these uh, the, these heavyweight uh, ESBs and API gateways and that sort right. of thing onto this uh, this Kubernetes based infrastructure, which then because of Bosch is nicely multi cloud. So you're able to essentially use Kubo at the time, or you know PK. You're able yeah. to use Kubernetes as as uh, shims the wrong word, but a thing that you would put underneath the, this this uh, fabricry stuff to make it easier to install across multiple regions and things like that. So yeah. instead of having to rewrite those things or use something new, you just kind of added a uh, some packaging around it, a, yeah. a container, if you will. <laughs> so it so it, it it essentially it standardized the control plane 
Right. You know, Kube CTL becomes your new kind of basic control plane for those uh, for those apps. It uh, it gave us a multi cloud. It gave us Bosch to manage those as well, so that we could right. have you know uh, again a standardized control plane across how it's operated as well as how developers might interact with it. Um, and it was a it, it turned out to be quite a successful uh, a little project considering it was essentially proof of concept work. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we stood up a high availability cluster for an ESB, for example. Mm. The ESB that they had was uh, WSO2. So uh, right, right, okay. So you know, most a lot of uh, people will be familiar with that. Um, yeah. Uh, so so walk through what that was like. So you've got mm. your your WSO2 ESB. There it is. Like we want to make it so that it's running on a on Kubo, like how do you, like how long does that take, and how do you start, and what are the things that you have to architect around or do, or yeah. like what, what's that? What's that look like? Well, we, we thought that it would be quite difficult at first. You know, we figured there'd be quite a lot of work in it, but um, as it happens, WSO2 have already done quite a lot of work on uh, dockerizing their. Mm. Uh, uh, containers, if you like, and um, also have done some work to uh, integrate those with Kubernetes, so so that you can do things like running a cluster using several Kubernetes pods. Okay, right, right, right. Know, for example, where the other nodes are in the cluster. So, so WSO2 has already done quite a lot of work on that. So, so we were fortunate, really. We got to be able to piggyback on the right. back of some of that stuff. So then it would seem like what you had to take. So they're already running the the ESB outside of you know kubernetes world and so i guess you need to take the configuration and how everything's wired together and somehow and that's the main part of what you have to move over exactly yeah but but at the same time uh you know not having to regenerate all that um uh diy sort of uh puppet and chef and and actually push it and pave your iaz and push it into the iaz a lot of time so then, yeah, we could concentrate on moving the, the business logic, I guess you would call it. I mean, it's really, it's integration logic. Yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, yeah, this yeah. points to that and this sends messages there and all that kind of stuff. We were able to take that configuration and stand it up and show the customer, okay, you gave us these apps and you gave us these uh, legacy SOA definitions. We've wired it together exactly the same way as you currently have it. And we could show them and demonstrate to them um, the same thing that they're used to, but working in a completely new and the, paradigm. And then the result, like you're saying, is you can run on, as they spread out to different regions, you can run on different infrastructure a lot more easily. Precisely. And then I would imagine there's like also just some raw management optimization, like abilities that you get. It's just easier to manage yeah. because you've... You've I keep using this word a lot because it's fun, but you've homogenized the uh, the sort of underlying the layers of of just monitoring and managing and updating and all of that. That's right. I mean, the, the, you know, as a customer, they'll be used to Bosch for PCF, but of uh-huh. course, then they're managing the Kubernetes clusters via Bosch as well. So right. So they end up with kind of a standardized control plane for both legacy applications or, or you know middleware centric applications as well as the new sort of cloud native stuff um, so it was it was quite an exciting project and we learned a lot about um, about what it feels like to work with uh, with, with kubernetes and mm. sort of a hybrid between we had some workloads on cloud foundry we had some workloads on kubernetes uh, so we, we got a an ex, you know good exposure to mix yeah the two. like what do we call it now the Pivotal application service is that right? The the PaaS. Yeah, I never thought that it's sort of a, a pun on pa- 
pads. Two A pads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fewer A's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we dropped an A somewhere. That, that's almost, that almost aligns with pivotal culture. Not not that many, so to speak, A's around. But anyways, uh, the, the A bomb. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> so so what what is, what is that like experience of? Because that that's that's one of the the sort of um, promises, I guess, of having the pads, the pivotal application, yeah. classic. Uh, build pack driven whatever you know uh, pivotal cloud foundry and then you have um, your, your your kubernetes your pks run stuff over here and you know they should be able to work with each other and, and and you know work with each other pretty effortlessly without knowing that they're different things yeah however, and, and does that kind of pan out or what's that like well we did learn lots of interesting things about that so uh, so so kubo pks can work in both an integrated fashion mm. where you've integrated your uh, kubernetes uh, uh, through PKS with uh, the PCF PaaS. Right, right, so right. you can do that. You can go to the marketplace and you can say CF create service and you'll get a Kubernetes cluster. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, okay. So you can do that. But for middleware type workloads, it doesn't. It doesn't quite. It's not quite what you want. It's it, the, the life cycle, for example, is associated with the Cloud Foundry space. Right. So right, right. these. Middleware workloads, you know, they'd last for many years, and they it's are independent, more or less, independent yeah, and yeah. managed centrally. So, so the the other way of doing that is to also use PKS, but stand up individual, externalized, if you like, PKS clusters. And is is that like a, a different foundation that you run, or is or does it it can still be the same PCF and run independently, or well. Uh, I think I recall correctly that, that with the uh, with the service broker, so uh-huh. if you're in the CF marketplace, yeah, yeah. it's going to stand up. A, you know, based on the plan, it's going to stand up a certain size of Kubernetes right. cluster. Right. Right. Um, if you're deploying your Kubernetes through Bosch separately, then you have a bit more control over what that looks like. So, yeah, for example, yeah. you can give it more resources. You can have more nodes. And because, because to your point, you don't really, you don't need. Whether you want to think of it as constraining and limiting, or yeah. or enabling and you know uh, nice, you don't need that sort of plan stuff wrapped around it or, no. or containment because it is like it's the middle way you're standing up is intended to be used by everyone, exactly, <laughs> right? and, and to be long lived and centralized. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. But also, and, and probably uh, similarly quite important, is if you're thinking about a middleware like an API gateway. Uh-huh. You know, the purpose of that is really to be an, an edge service. You know, it's acting on the edges of your network. Yes. It's doing things like routing through to particular applications or, uh, you know, looking at content or applying security or whatever it might be. In the integrated method, the uh, essentially the traffic has already come through PCF before it gets to yeah. your uh, before it gets to your your Kubernetes thing, whatever's in your pod. Yeah. So you know if you're trying to run an API gateway inside that pod, it's in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's yeah. supposed to control. Get an API and, gateway and an API gateway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so you end yeah. up with this kind of double router kind of problem. So yeah, yeah. So uh, so it makes sense for these sort of middleware workloads to work in this kind of totally. independent mode. And and thankfully, PKS has got the flexibility to do both those things. So yeah, yeah. If you're a you know if you're a developer and you want some Elasticsearch or whatever it might be, use the CF marketplace method. If you're an integrator and you need something long lived, 
then use a kind of independent method. Yeah, and and did y'all did y'all move over anything that wasn't uh, uh, luckily already containerized? <laughs> uh, no, we did. We uh, like I said, we managed to find uh, containers for most things. Although yeah. uh, the client had certain restrictions around versions, so we did okay. have some that we had to tweak and tinker with in order yeah, to yeah. make them work. But the uh, WSO two mechanism is to use a, a base container and then build on top of that. Yeah. So, so it wasn't too bad. There was a few sort of small changes that we had to make, um, but it was a surprisingly smooth process. And I think that that's a good news thing because you know if you're a yeah. if you're a, an enterprise and you're thinking you know well I would quite like multi-cloud for my uh, you know workloads my with middleware workloads then uh, something like PKS could be a really good place to start. Yeah, yeah. It's, that that was that's another thing I wanted to ask is is. I mean, there's no, it's just impressions and reflections at this point, probably. But for whatever reason, I hadn't thought about until a couple months ago the idea that, uh, let's call them ISVs. But someone like WSO2 would be shipping their software in containers, right? Which makes total sense. Uh, But it does, like, what do you think, how does that change as far as consuming that software? Like, like, and for, if, if you didn't have, I haven't looked at WSO2 stuff in a long time, but if you didn't have it containerized, it would basically be like, here's like a jar or an ear or war file, and here's how to get it set up in Tomcat. And you can kind of, and maybe we've got a VM image for you of like all this stuff built out, but basically like you should build this stuff. Whereas I would imagine if you put it in a container, it'd be like, oh, I'm just making stuff up, but we've got five subcomponents to the system and here are the five types of containers. And then you can just kind of inject the configuration into it and then it's, it's up and running. But I, I don't know, like, how do you think it's different using middleware that's already containerized? Well, there were, a few, like I said, there was a few issues where some things perhaps hadn't had the demand uh-huh. on WSO2, maybe. So, so you know, all the, all the versions were quite old versions. So, right, right. so, you know, stuff goes out of date. Stuff doesn't get necessarily the love and attention that it needs to keep it all, all working. So... We did have uh, we did have some work that we had to do. Um, I think I recall it was perhaps around things like sharing configuration across across a cluster. So in order to do that, they use uh, Subversion. Oh, okay. So you needed a containerized Subversion in order to do that. So uh, that's interesting. So there were instances like that where we had to do a little bit of work just to finish off some, you know, round off some of those edges. That, yeah. Uh, that, that didn't quite work, but I can see that uh, that you know. It, it could be quite attractive to a vendor to, to you know, be able to provide these uh, container images. And from, yeah. from, from my understanding, from the press releases that I'm seeing and from some of the partnerships that we saw yesterday, at yeah, Spotify, yeah. for example, uh, that, you know, more and more of them are looking to do that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, there's, I forget the name of it, but there's like, it's not a, maybe it's a hub, but there's some directory of, of containerized things, I yeah. think, for Kubernetes out there. And there's a... There's a lot of things in there. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. O- and also the uh, the Liberty Build Pack, you know, being, oh, right, being right. kind of included in the supported number of build packs. Yeah, you know, that's it's a clear indication of how much WebSphere application server there is out there, and how people are, you know, using the Liberty uh, mechanism. To yeah, try yeah. To uh, leverage that and then push their stuff into the cloud. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll finally get all the advantages of like virtual appliances. Like that. That always seemed. It always seems like it'd be really a nice, really yeah. nice to have virtual appliances and I, I always get the sense it never really pans out probably for many good reasons right but just like the whole 
the whole process of installing even mildly complicated middleware is, I mean, you were kind of hitting on it. It's like, well, you got to have this subversion thing over here that yeah. synchronizes with this. And, and you very quickly get into this situation of like, oh, I got a whole other distributed application I got to deal with now. <laughs> do, the, do those appliances still come with CD drives? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> do you still have somewhere to put your coffee yeah, while, yeah. You're, while you're working on Yeah, appliances are such a know. nice idea. But they, I mean, just, just the idea of like, ah, it just works. <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe to some extent that's that's like a, a, one of the huge reasons why like pure public cloud stuff is so attractive is it's not really an appliance, but it's already installed for you, right? Yeah. Like, like, and, and then you just have to configure it and get it set up how you want. But yeah, we'll see. Maybe one day, appliances. We can all dream the dream. <laughs> well, I never, I never asked you to introduce yourself. Oh, okay. So, 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 who are you? Yeah. So, uh, so my name is Ben Wilcock. I'm a uh, solution architect working out of Europe. Yeah. Uh, I work for the uh, application transformation team that helps our customers to move workloads into the cloud. And how, how many, how many people do we have on that team? Oh, it's a small team in Europe, but uh, but across the globe we've got something like sixty, I think. Oh, wow, okay. Uh, but the, the European team is a small uh, smaller percentage of that, but uh, but we're growing and we're recruiting. So you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, so so what 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 do y'all do? Is it is it? Um I mean, from what you're describing, it sounds like a lot of everything. But like, yeah. What are the, what, like what's a typical sort of like like week or two of of the kind of tasks that you do and the people you work with and the types of projects that you're working on so uh, so it's generally you know it's, it's usually always enterprise customers so mm. so it's there it's working with their developers essentially normally to either enable them to be able to use Cloud Foundry and to use the tools and uh, that they've got at their disposal or it's uh, helping them move you know specific workloads migrating into things or, or migrating. do you say replatforming or what's the terminology we, we do use? so we 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 have uh, we have sort of two terms that we normally use. Uh-huh. So uh, so replatforming being small changes to things that are already. You know, if you've heard of twelve factors, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. then maybe these things would have you know, you know a few of those factors are already, and maybe they just need a few more in order to be able to push them into the cloud. So, so it's sort of like the spirit of refactoring. You're not yeah, really. It's, yeah, yeah. I, this is a bastard or a incorrect way of saying refactoring, but like. You're not really changing the way something operates. No. Well, no, actually, it's literally that. You're changing the way something operates, but not the effect it has, right? Like, yeah. you're not changing what it looks like to the end user. You're just messing around with the internal sort of. And it's where it runs. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. Rather than being on a specific box in a specific yeah. data center, yeah. you know, it's moving it. So it's a, so it's a more, uh, you know, it can be moved into any cloud. Yeah, just moving to a new platform. So and then the second the, term. That's the replatforming. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, the modernization is where we take... Uh, slightly more gnarly problems and we perhaps look at them with you know fresh eyes so uh, taking a, a piece of mainframe functionality for example mm. and maybe uh, separating that out into a set of microservices and pushing that into the cloud so so that's right. uh, that's usually a bit more involved it involves a little bit of design sometimes it involves thinking again about what the process is and what it should do and very much our customers are at the forefront of helping drive that through because they know their Right. Their context better than anybody else, but then, uh, of course, more recently we've we've also started to talk much more about lift and shift. You know, actually, mm. we've got a lot of customers who, uh, you know, there's only certain workloads that are worth the investment of 
yeah. modernizing or replatforming, you know, and there are, there are a lot of workloads that don't quite meet the business case. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be, you know, much more uh, uh, natural fit for something like PKS, where you can yeah, yeah. take something that already exists, maybe containerize it, and still get that sort of multi-cloud feel and the management uh, and the ma- yeah, things. but without necessarily okay. making it fully 12-factor and, and like you said you know getting that operator benefit where it can be scheduled and run anywhere so it sounds like there's kind of like three areas of stuff yeah, <laughs> that, that, is, that y'all yeah. do and, and and it's I don't know it's probably like you know uh, you know 45, 45% or 40, 40, but kind of split between architecture sort of thinking and then actual just like development, like yeah. do, doing the work, right? Precisely. But then, you know, it's, it's, it's balanced. I would imagine it's balanced between that because you do have to be pretty deliberate about like, let's, you know, figure out the thing and how we're going to redo it or not redo it. That hints the architecture part and then, and then moving in. And then it seems like the minority of stuff though, it might be growing is, I don't know what you call it, like portfolio management, almost like a little bit yeah. of, there's a, tiny flavor of strategy in there where like you look at all the things that you could possibly move or change around or do something with and you need some kind of input of like business rationale to basically sort through these ones we're going to leave over there on the uh on the mainframe and those one these ones on the mainframe we need to like modernize and then this this old like esb over here we're just going to like containerize to make it easier to move but you need some kind of Businessy input to prioritize that and exactly, go through it. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and we we do that with our customers during processes like scoping, where we'll, right. we'll have a look at that portfolio and we'll perform that analysis to help them see, you know, which workloads are worth the investment, which ones are almost there and might be worth you know thinking about, uh-huh. and, and which ones they might want to you know over time perhaps they'll retire them. For example, you know, retire, yeah, yeah, retirement yeah. is also a, a valid option, but. Uh, but we, we are we are seeing sort of a you know we can reach deeper than ever before we can move more workloads than ever before onto onto the cloud so uh, so we're seeing a lot of engagement in that and a lot of uh, a lot of interesting conversations mm. like the one that we started with about yeah yeah you know, yeah the, uh, the customer with the ESB problem yeah well that makes sense <laughs> well good well th- well thanks for giving me that overview that was uh, that was good it's my so, pleasure yeah we'll see everyone next time. <laughs>